0: All right, so we're going to launch a brand new sermon series today, and the sermon series is entitled "Ask Your Pastor." And so last year we did this; it was super successful, uh, and we just had a great time. The church, look around, look around. Okay, we're, we're missing a few today. It's cold; people get scared when it's cold around here for some reason, as if it's never come. It astonishes me. I'm an outsider, so so uh, you know, a little bit of grace for me. But every year it's like all brand new again. People are like, "It's cold." It was cold last year. Like, don't you remember? Anyways, that being said, you try to forget. Well, look around. We have the church looks different than it did last year. There's new faces, there's old faces, meaning been here before, not old faces. Um, but we are we are growing as a little church. You know, we're doing all right. And so uh last year, one of the things I enjoyed the most about ask your pastor was just getting to talk with you guys hearing the questions after service and you know the questions that came up during uh during the sermon and things that maybe you didn't think of beforehand but you know every question every answer leads to another question so i'm looking forward to today and uh today we're not actually answering any questions it's just sort of an introduction to the series and next week we'll start answering the questions open up your bibles oh to matthew chapter 13 As you open up your Bibles to chapter 13 of Matthew, is that what I said? It is what I said. Ask your pastor, to me, is so much. It's more than just one reason why we do this. Um, Last year when we did this, it was, I thought, an opportunity for us just to answer some questions. But I saw something happen that intrigued me. And, you know, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit hasn't led me to do this, but I'm saying that it felt as though this is something we have to do regularly. And I'm going to explain why we're doing this and why we're going to probably do it once a year or once every other year, just as the Holy Spirit would lead. There's lots of reasons why we're doing this. But the first uh, verse I want to share with you today is Matthew 13. Verse 1 says this. That same day, Jesus went out to the house... Uh, out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, uh, let him hear. That verse 9 is a popular saying of Jesus'. It's an indication that there's more to what he's saying. He's not just talking about good gardening tips here. He's not just teaching us how to become farmers. That's not the point. The point is not the soil and the seed. The soil and the seed represent something. Let him who has ears, let him hear. This is a parable. Jesus is using imagery that we are familiar yet with. 2,000 years later, nothing has changed when it comes to how you plant your garden or, 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 or how you farm. It's still the same. This, this parable is something we can attach to really quickly. We can decipher really quickly. Later, the disciples will ask Jesus, what's, what's the deal with the seed and the soil? And Jesus says, the seed is God's word. And the soil is your heart. And so whenever we come together and we're going to study the word of God, hear a sermon preached, our hearts have to be ready. Um, As Jesus pointed out, you know, the seed that's put on a hard path, it just kind of bounces off the ground because of the hardness of it. Some of us have hard hearts. And no matter how much we are given God's word, it just bounces right back. And the birds come, the the, the enemy comes and just picks it away and it's no profit to us the word of god is 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 powerful sharp as a double-edged sword it says everlasting to everlasting i mean the word of god is eternal but if your heart is hard it bounces right off then there are those who who have some chance they have a rocky soil and and what happens is there's enough softness for the the seed to get in there and it springs up really fast but it dies really fast too because there's no chance for roots to set in. I had to do an experiment with my son this week for science. We had to go out and pull up a plant and look at the roots of the plant to see how the, how the roots nourish the rest of the plant. And and this, this seed, this God's word that goes into us, it's got to take root. It's got to go deep. It can't just be on the surface. Otherwise, the scorching heat comes and just destroys it, not just the sun but the trials of life. Then there's the seed planted amongst thorns, and it can grow because it has, it has soil, but the outside circumstances choke it out. Finances choke it out. Relationships choke it out. The past chokes it out. Sin chokes it out. All these things come along, and, and the, the weeds, or excuse me, the plant tries to grow, but the, the weeds overtake it. And as a pastor, and I've been doing this for over a decade now, I've seen people come in, and they've matched each one of these. You know, either they have a hard heart, and you get a husband who comes in, is it's just all curmudgeonly, and they're like, and Like, you just try to tell them the gospel of Jesus, and they don't care. You see the, the, the folks who come in all excited, and, and one week they're like, yeah, we're going to change the world. And the next week it's like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Just go back to my old way of life. Go back. You know I. I I abandoned what I once knew now I'm gonna go back here or I'm gonna find some new flashy thing that kind of meets my my flesh needs you have those who who man they try everything but those thorns just keep happening they can't get enough money they can't ever find a house they can't ever get their marriage uh, on the on the right track they just so many and then they do get those things and then something happens that, that they couldn't anticipate or see and the thorns come in and just choke out everything and they and they live a, a stunted Christian life they might still be Christians but they're they're so choked continuously that the word of God never grows in their heart. And then lastly you have the one where good soil planted seed the word of God it grows a 160 30 fold. Two warnings. Warning number 1 is we can't simply assume that we're the good soil, right? Um there's a 1 in 4 chance that we could be, but there's a 75% chance that we're not. We have to be careful. We can't assume that we've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years, so we must be the good soil. The the thorny ground can can exist for a long time like that, just continuously being killed by the thorns of life, the weeds of life. We can't assume that we're the good soil. And the the second is that we have to make sure that our heart, the, the, the soil of our heart is ready for the Word of God. I'll be honest with you. There's times in my life where I've purposely sat in a sermon and got nothing. Just sat there. Good hour of my life just went by. I got nothing. But there's been times where, I don't know, everything lined up. My heart was ready. Something was preached. And that word has lasted with me five, six, ten years where I remember it like I was there. I don't know if my heart was ready. I don't know if my heart was hard previously. What I know is that in that moment, I was ready. And there are times where I'm not ready, and there's times where you're not ready. Today, we have to be ready. As we go through the next few weeks, answering some pretty big questions. Like last time was like the the, the, the entry-level questions. The questions got a lot deeper this time. Um, we want our hearts to be ready for God's Word. We have to live this life where we are guarded by the armor of God from Satan, but we're open to the Lord. We, we can't guard ourselves against Him and His Word. We have to allow His Word to penetrate our hearts. The Word of God, like I said, is eternal. The Word of God itself needs no verification or, or, or vindication. It, it is what it is, and uh, you b- choose to believe it or not. And, and so today, I want your hearts to be ready. I want you to be in prayer as I preach that you would be able to receive God's word. I mean even that parable, to receive that, your heart has to be ready. You can receive that today and then go home and get really bad news. And that will choke out anything that's said here today. What we need to be is, is, is soil, uh, a heart that's a soil that's so soft that it, that it receives the word of God. And no matter what comes along, the word of God stands taller than it. I was pretty bummed last night, you know, I was going through some some stuff on the internet. You know, the internet today gives you instant access to almost anything. And I was just going through, you know, our country's just in a hard spot right now, you know? You have you have a well-defined line right down the middle between people on the right and people on the left. And don't fall for any of that. I mean, that's a trick of the enemy like any other trick that he has to divide people even non-Christians, to divide people in general, to get them so focused on the line that they miss Jesus. You know, the people on the left think they have Jesus on their side. The people on the right think they have Jesus on their side. And Romans 13 shows us that God's in control of all these things. He's not right or left. He's God. He's sovereign. And He has a plan, and we're going to follow that. You know, I I would like for us as a church... To seemingly be under the radar, not, not in the preaching of the gospel, but not getting caught up in all this drama you find on like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. It does – it benefits nobody. It might give us some information here or there, but to get caught up in a, in a Twitter war or a Facebook argument really does nobody any profit. So we want to be above that or, or under the radar on that. We want to serve. It does us no good to go on Facebook and say a bunch of stuff and then we stay home and do nothing. You know, if, we ha- if we're not serving other people, if we're not part of the body of Christ, we haven't earned the right to to go and tell somebody how to live their life. I mean we – that's – to be able to speak into somebody's life comes comes at a price. You don't just have that because you're a Christian. You have that because you've entered into a relationship with them. That being said, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7. Turn to Matthew 7, 7. This is – this is a, a very amazingly good, beautiful verse that so often is misconstrued, broken and beaten, used for the wrong reason. Kind of like trying to use a steak knife to unscrew a screw. It's just, yeah, it's it's partially there, but you're just damaging the screw in the knife and it's not right. So we want to, try to kind of correct this ship a little bit so that we can go forward. Matthew 7, 7 says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you here's the big idea we get to ask we have the not only the permission but the blessing the 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 joy the the privilege to go before god the father and ask and seek and knock old testament time Temple worship. And when it came time to offer up sacrifice for sin in the Holy of Holies, one day a year, one man entered, sacrificed, blood sprinkled, and then he left. It was the Holy of Holies. Nobody went in there for fear of dying because that was the seat of God. That's where God's manifest presence would be during that time. And once Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain of the Holy of Holies? Tore from top to bottom. If you read the Bible and study the biblical history, this was not just like these curtains we see here. These were thick, dozen feet high if not more, beautiful, just amazing tapestry that hung separating the rest of the temple to the Holy of Holies, but it ripped in two. It was, it was Jesus' broken body represented that we may now enter into the Holy of Holies. We get to seek. And so often this verse is used as like a hammer or a bat to bludgeon God to get him to do what we want. I want this, and so we just start whacking him with this verse. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. You said to ask and seek and knock, and you'll give it to me. Give it to me. That's that's not what this verse is teaching us. That's not what Jesus is allowing us to do. This is showing us. This is preaching to first century Christians that you now have this privilege we as Americans we've forgotten this we everything is owed to us so when we don't get what we want we feel like we've been wronged somehow we have the privilege to ask we have the privilege to seek and to knock this is not a verse that we throw out there when God doesn't give us what we want this is to remind us that God is our father. The context of all this is that God's a heavenly father, and we are his children, and we come to him seeking and asking and knocking. Now, any of you with parents, if your children came and started badgering you for anything, you would probably say no. Just on principle. Give me my toy. Give me Chuck E. Cheese. Give me candy for breakfast. And you're like, no. No. Absolutely not. Go to your room. Go. We're going to talk about this. i got to, I got to let my anger subside a little bit. We're going to talk about this. None of us would reward that and say, okay, oh, here you go. Stop hitting me, please. Here's your candy for breakfast. Oh, no, none of us would do that. And the Bible says that, that we as fathers, though we're evil, we know not to do stuff like that. How much better is our Father in heaven that we get to come to him, sit up on his lap and say, Father, this is what I need. This is what I ask of you. This is what I'm looking for. I'm knocking on your door. Let me in. We get to ask and seek and knock. See, when you come at it with that perspective, that biblical perspective, it changes your request. It changes how you approach God. It changes what you actually desire. You go in, you realize, man, I can ask for anything. I I now realize I have everything church i I don't come before you with a big bank account a fleet of fancy cars a jumbo jet i don't have all those things i'm like you i make it week to week paycheck to paycheck but i know this i've got jesus on my side and no matter what should happen i will be okay and my family will be okay three and a half years ago when the doctor said your son has cancer i knew we'd be done with cancer one day I knew, okay, three and a half years, that's how much much time it takes? Let's do this. Let's get it done. And here we are just the other day. I had to tell somebody he had cancer, and it felt so good to say Ethan had cancer. It's no longer part of his life anymore. He's done. It's it's just a part of his story now. But I had the confidence then. It was a hard – now, let me kind of bring the microscope in. The day where he was diagnosed, I did not really feel that. (laughs) The presiding fear or the presiding emotion was anger and fear. But as the day wore on and as the week wore on, I realized, okay, I've got to make a choice. I've got to follow the Lord. I've got to trust him or I'm going to go insane. I I have two choices. Those are it. I go insane because I can't control anything or I trust in the Lord. I'm being still and knowing that he is God and we're going to move forward in that. And that's what we had to do we get to seek now in that time I sought the Lord I knocked on his door I asked him to take away cancer and his plan was the three and a half years and now we're done I don't look back in resentment I don't wonder why he didn't heal Ethan the way I wanted him to I just look back and say Lord you healed my son praise God let's move forward Ephesians 2 and 1 is a very important uh, Set of verses, a very important chapter in the Bible. I mean it's all important, it's all good, but but this is one that I continuously am going back to in the in recent weeks. I find myself in Ephesians chapter two so often. Ephesians two one says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me stop right there. Verses 1 and 2 fly against everything that we see on television, the internet, and the world. The world teaches us we're all God's children. Inherently, we're all born into the kingdom of God, and that's not true. Paul says we were trespassers. We were in a place that we shouldn't be. We were, we were destined for hell. We're, we're not just born into the right place or the right time. We were trespasses we were dead in our trespasses dead has anybody ever been to a funeral and seen a dead body they don't do anything they're not alive the bible says that we were dead in the trespasses of our sin that's the reality of us without jesus pre-jesus before jesus we're dead in our sins we're not children of god and that might hurt your feelings, and I hope that it does because I want you to see the truth of that. That's not because of you or what you have done that automatically makes you a child of God. Continuing, verse 3 Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In verse 4, this is the turning point. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, for it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Because of what Jesus has done, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, we now have access to the, to the throne, we can now come to him. I want us to, to both see that as a great privilege and honor, but to handle that with fear and trembling. To say, wow, this is, I can't just go in here throwing elbows, you know, get in my way. Man, I, I'm standing on holy ground. I am i am in the presence of God continuously. i He hears my voice when I speak to him. When I pray, when I ask, when I seek, a real God seated on a real throne listens to me. He hears what I have to say. And then he answers. He doesn't always answer the way I want, but he answers. He knows me. And I get to know him. So the first question we have to deal with before we ever ask any other question about God is, are you a child of God? Are you saved? John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You know how you were born one time in the flesh? You must be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus' box, how do I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus says, no, no, no. You were born of the water already. Now you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again. You must, by faith, believe in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. You must, by faith, live according to his word and what he has commanded us to do. You must, by faith, come together with a bunch of people you don't know and learn who they are and get to know them and become a family with them. I I tend to, in, in, in smaller circles, I start to feel awkward. Lots of people, 20, 30 people doesn't bother me. But one or two people, brand new, don't know them. I just run out of stuff to say really quick. Like how's the weather? I'm done. Like that's all I got. I got nothing interesting to say unless you, you know, like football or Parks and Rec. Like I have nothing else to add to this conversation unless we can get to talking about Jesus somehow. Then there's stuff, but but it's like, "So, you know, cold weather's coming. In this area, that could get you killed." To talk about the snow that's coming. Have you been born again? Have you been, as Ephesians 2 says, been made alive in Christ? How do we know if we are? Are we putting our faith in Christ? We're not just believing that He was or believing that He was a good teacher, but but He's our all in all. We've been cut to the heart for our sin. We've repented of our sins. We've we've accepted the offer of grace and mercy from God that we would be forgiven and become a child of God. This This is all being born again. This is all becoming one of his children it means you have hitched your wagon to his pony and you're never going to let it go he's never going to let you go you might run away and you might be scared and you might not want to trust but he's going to hold on to you forever is that where you're at or is jesus a compliment to your life he's good on sunday mornings he's good when it's time to pray when somebody when something goes wrong you run to him Or, or are you with him as as much as you possibly humanly can be it's that's that's you that i can't choose that for you i can't make you do that and heaven would be really bad if i made you guys all go there i want you guys to know jesus because you know jesus that all being said getting getting that challenging question um you know given that challenge being given why are we doing this ask your pastor series i got a bunch of reasons here they are number 1 accountability I I I love it because it challenges me. I don't have any preconceived notion that I have all the answers. My goodness, you guys are all in trouble if that's your mindset. All I know is where to get the answers from. I know who has the answers. So you guys ask a question, then I ask Jesus. I just pray and I seek through his word, and we, we do our best to answer these questions. But what that does is that challenges me. You know, a lot of pastors nowadays go unchallenged. They just keep preaching the same sermons over and over and over again. It's not that it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just nobody grows in that way. It's like just eating carrots for the rest of your life. They're good for you and they have vitamins, but you can't just have carrots all day. And, and you guys can't have the same message all the time. You guys can't um, always hear the same verses. We need to know the Bible, you know, in its entirety, not just one section or one idea or one concept. And so it challenges me to go to places in the Bible that maybe I'm not frequent in. i've had i had a question that that um i held over from last time because i couldn't answer it um it was about rahab you know i don't go to the story of rahab that often i hear mentioned in in hebrews and and in other parts of the new testament but i never study her story on purpose and so now i have to so it challenges me it keeps me accountable as your pastor there are no there are no bad questions there are no small questions if you have a question about jesus It should be asked if you have a question about the Bible or the church it can be asked and and I'm not threatened by your questions at all I don't I don't I'm not God's publicity you know I'm not his PR guy I'm not trying to protect him from you I want you to be I want you and Jesus to be closer than than anybody else on the planet okay so number one it keeps me accountable number two I get to know you now I, I The questions are anonymous, but I'm getting to the point where I can uh, decipher handwriting. I'm trying to – okay, I think that's this person. I think that's this person. Some of you gave them to me in person, so that kind of – you know, one plus one equals two. So I know who that is, but it develops an intimacy. All the people I've ever been close with in the church are people who allowed me to ask them the hard questions. Our relationship grew faster and deeper than any other relationship I've ever had. And some of the most joyous times I've ever had in church were the times where I could just ask uh, any question. Well, what about this or what about that? And then they begin to talk and that brings up another question. It creates this relationship that can't be found anywhere else. So it helps me get to know you and it helps you get to know me. Number three, and this one's really, really important to me. It roots out bad theology. Bad theology is like a splinter in your foot. If you get a splinter in your foot, I mean, just not blatantly bad theology, like that subversive kind of behind-the-scenes, you don't really know it's bad, you kind of think it seems like it has some good in it, but it's like a splinter in your foot. At first, it's just a tiny pain, but if you left that unchecked, infection could set in, and you start walking with a limp, and next thing you know, you you, you could lose a limb because of it. Bad theology has to be rooted out of our lives. And sometimes, because it starts off bad, we don't realize that the end result is bad theology. For instance, like Matthew 7-7, when we're taught that, you know, that's your guarantee to get whatever you want from God. You want it, you ask, you seek, you knock, and you'll get it. It's bad theology. Starting off from the get-go, and you grow that into a really bad theology, you've got to scrap that all and go back to the beginning. You know, By the end of that, you're, 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 your theology is infected. And so you asking questions, some of the questions I got, the root of them were bad theology. A question about this or a question about that, I could surmise from them, well, that's because they have been taught this, and that's why they're asking this question. Because when you have bad theology and then you read the Bible, you realize, oh, one of these two is right. They can't both be right. It's either this one or that one. And so bad theology put up against the Word of God, Word of God wins every time, and your bad theology gets put aside, it's cast away. There's no. We all walk in some form of bad theology. Theology is just the understanding of God, the the study of who God is. And and sometimes we have it, and it's not an an indicament of who we are as a person, it just means somewhere along the line we picked up something and now we just gotta get rid of it now, now to to sit back and say well that's the way I've always been taught and you you haven't been around long enough to, to say those types of things and you're not even you're younger than me and you are not like this pastor or that pastor that's pride and that is bad now, I don't come with the credentials I don't I haven't written tons of books you know I don't have a, a thriving blog and all this other business I don't have a lot of internet traffic to my websites and whatnot all I have is the Word of God and I'm comfortable with saying this is what the Word of God says And this is what you say. Now you choose who you're going to follow, that theology or the word. These questions help us to root that out, to say, okay, this is what you've been taught, but this is what the word says. Now let's make a choice. Now let's be challenged to go back to the word ourselves and and to seek this out. And so often it leads to more questions, which is really awesome too. Number four, big word, big buzzword lately, foster intimacy and friendship kind of hit on that on number two but that was number two is between you and i but it'll help between each other you know it, church is not about how many relationships i can have it's about how interconnected we all can be you know one of the greatest joys i have as a pastor is when i hear that one or two of you not one two or three of you get together outside the walls of the church hey we're going to dunkin donuts hey we're going over here hey we're going to antique this weekend Hey, we're going uh, motorcycle riding this day, and we're doing this. It's like, okay, I'm I'm not necessary for your relationship, you know. I don't have to say, hey, Timmy, come over here and play with Johnny, and you guys be Christians together. It's like I don't have to do that. Remember, when, did your mom ever do that for you in school? Like, I'm gonna go get that boy and make him be friends with my kid. My mom did that, and praise God, I had friends that way because I was like this, but smaller. Um. <laughs> Just a big bunch of awkward and running around. and Yeah, so anyways, um, you can make friends that way, but how much better when you guys just make friends together? When you hear somebody ask the question and you're like, man, I wanted to ask that too. Man, it might be my best friend. I don't even know it. So we get to have intimacy and authentic relationship and, and every other uh, buzzword you find on Facebook nowadays about Christianity. Number five, this one's important to me. Maybe not so much to you, but it breaks down the untouchable pastor uh persona or or whatever you want to call it we live in a celebrity driven culture amen how many people know what kim kardashian's wearing right now or doing right now too many of you that's that's always the answer too many cuz we live why is she famous keep it appropriate why is she famous we can't tell you but she's But now at this point she's famous for being famous right i mean she's offered really little to our nation as a whole aside from an x-rated video right i mean she's just a celebrity and the rest of her family celebrities because they're celebrities paris hilton that was 10 years ago or so now she was famous for what for her dad owning hotels i mean we live in a celebrity driven culture and we love it when our celebrity is 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 even remotely religious, right? Like oh this guy, I saw him he he goes to this church or that church where he mentioned God and we're like, oh like we got the we got the star quarterback on our team yay, we're celebrity driven culture and we have pastors who have who have I mean, I'm talking about good pastors who have written books, they do have the blogs, they've made DVDs, they have huge ministries, and then they become a celebrity. Everybody follows them on Twitter. They got the little blue check mark next to their name because their account's been verified. It's not a joke. It's not a person impersonating them. Celebrity pastors, and some of them, some of them handle it well, and some of them don't. And when they don't, what you generally find and see is folks that uh, pastors who become untouchable. Now, now they're like in this bubble somewhere where nobody can approach them. You want you want to get a question answered? Then you got to talk to the underling of an underling of an underling. And then maybe you can work your way up to, to somebody closer to the pastor, but you're never getting anywhere near him. Now, some of these pastors have to pastor like tens of thousands of people, and he'll ne- that pastor will never have the ability to meet with every single person personally. So it's not a bad thing to have other people on your team who can develop relationships and all of that. But to be completely untouchable, to come from an underground bunker and then go back inside after Sunday morning service has been preached, that's not a good thing. We, we have a church where we have enough uh, personal relationships where I don't have to live in a bubble somewhere. And, and letting you ask me whatever questions you'd like and me teaming up with you to answer these questions helps keep that wall down. I don't want to be the pastor who's untouchable or, or, or unknowable you know, Monday through Saturday. I can't meet with all of you all of the time whenever you want, but I'm certainly not the other end of the pendulum where we can never meet. And so it helps keep that at bay, and, and not that we have uh, – no, not, not that I'm a, a threatened to be a celebrity pastor anytime soon, but the celebrity pastor mindset transcends the number of people you have in the church. You can have ten people and still be untouchable in your church. Shepherds lead the sheep. Shepherds are with the sheep. Shepherds who aren't with the sheep aren't shepherds. They're just guys. To see beyond the walls of this church. You know, we are so driven by what's right in front of us that sometimes we think the problems that that what we're going through, everybody's going through. Or we see some ministry in Florida or Washington or California or Texas and and we see their problems or their questions being answered and we think, oh, that must be what everybody thinks. No, we we are our own little church connected to the big church, but we have our own problems. You know, in in Atlanta, mega churches like on every corner, all that. But what happens when they get snowfall? They shut down the state for like 2 inches of snow, right? A friend of mine, Pastor Bob from Church on the Rock, he went to to Bakersfield, California a couple of years back, and they shut down a major highway because they got snow. And Bob's like, I can drive in snow. It was just a it was a dusting. And they're like, "No, you can't. It's, it's it's dangerous. You'll die from the snow." we look at that that's not our problem right i mean for them we want we wish them the best all that but we get like 10 inches of snow and we're like okay let's have a cup of coffee you know let's go out and scrape off the car let's go dig out everything you know we just it doesn't phase us because we have our own just with the weather we have our own problems we have our own economic problems right taxes are through the roof here but in other places they're not so bad so when we talk about buying a house we might say oh the property you know, value is really low, but the taxes you're going to pay are incredible. Different set of problems, unemployment rates, the governor, the, the the just trying to get people to understand that we're not New York City. This is this is the set of problems that we have here. And so when you ask me questions and you submit these questions, it helps me understand where your problems are or where your concerns are, not the concerns of the church way out there. Not that we're not a part of them, we totally are, but we want to We want to start here. And lastly, it's just to get to know Jesus. There's a phrase repeated throughout the Old Testament, quoted in the New Testament, the Lord your God. The prophets, the, the, the priests, the kings, the men would come and say, have something to say of the Lord, and they would say, here's what the Lord your God says getting to know Jesus is also not just the asking seeking and knocking but also is a privilege to get to know him that he's a knowable God he hasn't just done a lot of stuff and then went and hid in hopes that we find him you know we don't we, we don't measure your depth in Christ by how which row you sit in at the church you know, and I move you guys up as you guys get deeper in your understanding of God. This isn't Gnosticism where, where, as you gain secret knowledge, you get closer to the Lord. God is a God who wants to be known. Who has done everything needed for us to know Him. And there are times, truthfully, where He is silent. That does not mean He is not there. That does not mean He is sleeping. That does not mean He is indisposed. It simply means... He's doing something you don't understand. How often, just you moms and dads, now I do this constantly, so this is where I'm coming from, you have one of your children come and ask you, what are you doing, and how are you doing? And in our own feudal minds, in my own feudal mind, it's so, it would take me all day to explain to you what I'm doing right now. And I'm not trying to put my persona on God. What I'm saying is, I know for me, I, if I sat here and explained to you why I'm doing what I'm doing, I would never get done what I need to get done. So I have to find a way to explain to my children what I'm doing in a way that they'll understand and comprehend. With God, he doesn't get frustrated with us. He doesn't you know, get tired of us and that sort of thing. But there are times where we simply ask him, what are you doing? And I think that we just won't understand. I think that things like from the beginning, before when he says things like before time began, did anybody imagine that before time began? I, I don't know. That doesn't work in my head. I, I, all I know is time. All I know is, is, is the measurement of minutes and seconds and days and weeks. And when the Bible says beforehand, before the beginning, how do, you, how do you do before the beginning? He's given us that and we're struggling with it, right? And so I think there are times where God is silent, not because he doesn't want to tell you what's going on, but it would just be a lot faster if we just followed him in faith. Now it seems counteractive to say, hey, just trust and don't ask when we're having an Ask Your Pastor series, but they kind of work both together. We're going to ask questions where we don't get the answer we want or we don't understand the answer and we have to be okay with that and move forward in faith. But God is a God to be known. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, where God is telling um, Moses, He's explained to him what to do. He's going to go before Pharaoh. He's going to let my people go. And, um, verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 21, the, the, the end of that book. In verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Just as a side note, for those of us who are so appalled with sexual immorality, which we should be, notice that that came lower on the list than cowardice. Being cowardly, the first thing that Jesus points out is is someone being a coward. We're we're living in days where we're not called. We, we don't have the freedom to be cowards when it comes to our faith. And that doesn't mean we don't call people out on their sin. It Doesn't mean that we don't stand for righteousness. But it means that we have to have a cognizance of the fact that that's our default, and we want to we want to we want to keep as far away from that as possible. So that when we do stand up against things like sexual immorality, we aren't playing into the hand of the enemy. Does that make sense? Because because a, a lot of what you see nowadays is just to get you to play into his hand. And you think you're standing for righteousness, but you're just falling for it. I will be his God he will be my son what a great privilege we've been given to be a child of God have the opportunity to become a child of God will you become a child of God if you have not already and then will you begin to seek God and what he desires because that's that's what changes when you see Matthew 7 7 in its proper context it's not that I get a free check a blank check for anything I want it's it's the God of all creation who's invited me in to have a relationship with him. He's, he's opened the door to me. He, he's, he's entered into a conversation with me. He's made way through his son Jesus that, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, now I have access to God the Father unlike any other people. You have that. Not through me, not through the Pope, not through some holy man, but through Jesus and what he's done. You now have the privilege to go to God. And so the answer, is, or the, the challenge is, will you do that? If you are a child of God, will you do that? Will you come to him in reverence? Will you come to him as the father that he truly is? Let's stand and pray. A lot of what we need to do as a church falls underneath these next four things I'm going to mention. Number one is surrendering. And we're taught to not surrender, to hold our ground. Somebody's going to take advantage of us. And that's that's true in the world. But before God, surrendering is absolutely essential. It's laying down your life before the Lord. For those of you with trust issues, dad issues, mom issues, relational issues, this is a hard one to swallow. To say I'm going to be vulnerable before the Lord when when I've done that with humans and they've just taken advantage of me. Today I'm encouraging you. I am imploring. I'm exhorting you to open yourself up to the Lord. Be guarded against everybody else, but to open yourself up before the Lord, surrender to Him. Put your arms up. And say, Lord, I give up. Number two, the worship. You know we're called to worship all the time. Worship on a Sunday morning. That's not all we're called to. It could be a great time. This morning's worship I thought was amazing, really great. But that's not the only time I'm going to worship. I'm called to worship Jesus all the time. When when the Jews are first coming out of Egypt and God's talking to Moses, telling what to do, He's telling, tells Moses, tell the fathers, talk to your children about what the Lord has done. When they lay down, when they get up, when they're eating, when they're walking, when they're working, when they're playing. Talk to them about me. Worshiping God is a continuous thing. Number three, repent. Some of you have the idea that repentance is um, like forgiveness. They're not. They're two two different things. Forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, is that act of submission. Saying, Lord, you are God, I am not. You are holy, I am not. I've sinned and I ask for your forgiveness repentance comes after that though. repentance is I've received forgiveness and grace and mercy now I walk away from that sin I walk away from that which I was doing that I know was wrong I walk away from it, that's repentance so we surrender, we worship we repent and then we're loved by God and this is a tough one too, these are all really hard they're not our natural uh, they're not our nature Loving God, I can preach to you, love God all day long. I can preach to you, be loved by God all day long. But when it comes to me by myself being loved by God, that's a very difficult thing because I start to struggle with worth. Uh, with worth, I start to struggle with doubt and fear. You know, there's nobody else around, and it's you know, just me and the Lord. And I have to trust, Lord, you love me. It's not based on what I have done. It's all based on what you have done. It's not based on on my successes today. And it's not hindered by my failures today. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that I have placed faith in him, and now I have His righteousness. Being loved, just simply being loved is not a license to to sin. It actually enables the ability to not sin, to go forward, not in sin. So let me pray for you. I pray that right now you have a continued moment with the Lord. Where you would understand how much He loves you, the access you have to Him, and how cherished you are by Him. Amen. Father God, we praise you. And Lord, I am under no I'm under no preconceived idea that I have all of the answers, that we have any of the answers, Lord. We're seeking you. And Lord, we're asking that above all things, that Jesus would be known. That the message of the cross would go out to this world that would continue to uh, bring home your sons and daughters. Lord, you you have done all things necessary to bring reconciliation.